Man, it is a gorgeous Pacific Northwest, and yep, it's a Wednesday. It's June 17th, 2015, and my name is Chris, and I'm broadcasting live from the Jupiter Broadcasting Studios of the JBLive.tv page for today's Tech Talk Today, episode 184. And there is some important news I want to get into. I thought we'd be talking about E4, but it turns out actual technology news has developed. No, I'm just kidding. E4 is still news. But uh, actually, I want to start with security. I'm doing this more often. When there's something that seems to be a widespread security issue that would probably impact just about every listener of this show, uh, I'm going to try to do these as our top stories. So we have one that affects iOS devices and one that affects Android devices. So let's dig into these. And to do so, i got to bring in that mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room! Hello, guys. Oh, man. This is, uh, this is boy, a good turnout today. And now, I, I just I feel like there's always a security vulnerability around the corner. I, it's a good time to do this, to do TechSnap. We sure picked a good time to start that show. Let me just say that. But uh, we'll probably dig into this even more on Thursday's TechSnap. But starting with the iOS and OS X flaw, researchers have found major keychain vulnerabilities in both operating systems. Now, uh, this is coming out right now. Our researchers say it's possible to break app sandboxes, bypass app store security checks, and crack the Apple keychain. The researchers wrote, specifically, we found that the inter-app interaction services, which is one of the nicer features of OS X, including the keychain and web sockets on OS X and URL scheme on OS on, um on OS X and iOS, yep, it does. It impacts both of them. Are can be exploited by malware to steal confidential information such as passwords from iCloud, email, your bank account information, and the secret token of the Evernote app. Hmm. Further, the design of the app sandbox in OS X was found to be too vulnerable, exposing an app's private directory to the sandbox malware that hijacks its Apple Bundle ID. As a result, sensitive user data like notes and user contacts under Evernote and the photos under WeChat were all disclosed. Fundamentally, these problems are caused by a lack of app-to-app and app-to-OS authentications. Now, there's a full PDF in this post. It's available online. Also, as a series of video demos, which are probably pretty compelling to watch, which I will probably get into for TechSnap this week. Uh, They withheld publication for six months at Apple's request, but haven't heard anything so far. This has been coming out more and more. um, And this may actually be a collection of vulnerabilities that we've been discussing for a few weeks on TechSnap. Uh, There was recently a vulnerability that was creating a a modal pop-up, a modal pop-up window that was asking the user to enter their iCloud password. It looked like the iCloud prompt. And you all, only thing you had to do to trigger this pop-up was to just open an HTML email and Apple Mail. And it would then cause this trigger. And then you would enter in the password and it would send it off to the attacker's web server. So this may be a collection of that vulnerability that we've been discussing for a few weeks on TechSnap. Uh, and uh, so the, uh, it's called the Zara Flaws. It's X-A-R-A Flaws. And the Zara attack demos will be linked in the show notes if you guys want to watch that. So that's on the iOS and OS X side this morning. Coming in on the Android side of things, Samsung cell phone keyboard software is vulnerable to an attack. A serious security problem in the default Samsung keyboard installed on many of the company's cell phones has been lurking since December 2014. When the phone tries to update the keyboard, it fails to encrypt the executable file. This means attackers on the same network can replace the update file with a malicious one of their own. Affected devices could include the Galaxy S6, S5, S4, and S4 Mini, roughly 600 million phones in use. There's no known fix at the moment, aside from avoiding insecure Wi-Fi networks or switching phones. The researchers who presented these findings at the Black Hat Security Conference say Samsung has provided a patch to some carriers, but he can't find out if any of them have applied the patch. The bug is is still currently active on devices he's tested. 
That's kind of interesting because one of the things that when Apple rolled out third-party keyboards they were super anal about was they didn't want a keyboard that could be used for malicious purpose like capturing user passwords and usernames. I mean, talk about the perfect place to have some malware is in the damn keyboard software. Uh, So these are both pretty nasty flaws, both affecting uh, the most popular smartphones on the market. So I'm sure those Samsung devices will be patched real soon. Real soon. Real soon. Uh, and, and, you know, and, the, and the, the Mac ones, Apple just doesn't have a good sandbox solution on OS X. They retrofitted their operating system to have sandboxing support. They added it years after the fact. They didn't build it with that. And so it's, it's, not, it's, it is, it's not a sandbox like you think it is. So I'm not surprised that they've been able to poke holes at it. Mumbleroom, any thoughts on either one of these vulnerabilities or this amount of or the scope of users impacted by this? <clears throat> 600 million Samsung devices, all of those iOS devices, right? That's a, that's a lot of users. Well, for the people using Samsung, at least, they could take and go over something like CyanogenMod if they don't mind rooting and possibly get an update faster. Yeah, I wonder, too, if uh, just using a third-party keyboard or is having the keyboard on the device enough to be vulnerable? One would presume having the keyboard on there at all would make you vulnerable. Right, because it'll receive the updates. Exactly. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I guess that's still part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and you can't really... it's a stock one, you can't really remove it. And so, like, what, Cyanogen is a solution for 0.5% of the Android users out there? 1% maybe? Are going to be able to are going to be able to figure out how to put cyanogen on their old S four or S five or whatever. To and be I, fair, like cyanogen on most Samsung devices is really easy using Odin. Yeah, I just I don't I just think I don't think the actual act of installing it is the problem. I think it is the gap between knowing that such a thing even exists and that you could do such a thing and actually doing it is 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 a galaxy of, of knowledge gap that most average users don't have. Uh, and then, there, of course, there's users like me with the S6 who don't really have a solution when it comes to a third-party ROM yet. I'm just kind of screwed. And I'm also sitting on an old 501 or 502 version of Android that's leaking memory like a bucket, like a leaky bucket. And it's ridiculous. So I'm, I, I can't even use the damn thing. I've literally stopped using the phone. So I'm just waiting for the next update, and then I'll apply the update, and I'll start using that phone again. Not sure if this has been said, but also some people who know about it probably won't do it for a new ish phone because they're worried about voiding something. Mm, there's always that. There's always that. Well, while we're talking about mobile phones and carriers, everybody wants to buy T-Mobile. Now Comcast appears to be in the lead. Uh, T-Mobile owner uh, Dish Telecom is reportedly talking to several companies, including a satellite TV provider like Dish. But now it looks like in negotiations. Your friend and mine, Comcast, has the leg up. A, 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 a tie-up between Comcast and T-Mobile would combine the top cable provider in the U.S. with one of the big four it's <laughs> cute wireless carriers, Comcast, which provides cable television, internet, and phone service across the U.S., has 27 million subscribers, and T-Mobile's has 39 million subscribers. Well, actually, they're not really subscribers. They're customers because some of them are prepaid and postpaid. Uh, so that would give uh, Comcast a foothold in the wireless industry which is seen as a massive growth area. And remember, Comcast also has had rumored to want to roll out cellular service over their Wi-Fi routers, where you could use Wi-Fi calling over the uh, Xfinity Wi-Fi that they've enabled in all their routers. Successful acquisition attempt would be a change of pace for the two companies, remember, because in 2011, AT&T announced plans to merge with T-Mobile for $39 billion. That was in 2011. 
That didn't work out. AT&T nixed the plan after facing significant criticism. Uh, and then, of course, Comcast uh, linked a $45 billion deal to join forces with Time Warner Cable. Uh, of course, that deal didn't work out <laughs> after massive criticism. <laughs> uh, the uh, <laughs> I just don't know if they're going to actually be able to pull the trigger on this. Uh, of course, Dish also wants to buy uh, T-Mobile. And uh, Dish seems like they might have a better shot from a regulation standpoint. But looking at this, I just don't know if Dish can't compete with uh, with Comcastic in terms of money. And Comcast wants this so bad. And my, my, my bet is if they don't get T-Mobile, then they buy up Sprint. You guys, if you're on T-Mobile right now and Comcast bought them up, would you be tempted to jump ship or would you stay there? Would you take your new Comcast cellular service and love it? I'd it's- pretty much jump ship. Ship right really? away. Come on now, man. Xfinity Cellular. Anywhere that has an Xfinity Wi-Fi access point, you can call for free. And have the call drop five seconds after you start it. <laughs> yeah, it would be going over to Comcast service, wouldn't it? That's true. <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh, I think it's an interesting situation. Um, I wonder if they have the regulatory... I, I mean, they have a lot of lobbyists. They may have the strength to push this through. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to just watch that one. Microsoft announces a big shakeup today in their mobile division. Oh, boy, look at this mobile crap here. Uh, Elop, who didn't see this coming? Elop was the guy who worked at Microsoft. He went over to Nokia. He destroyed Nokia, ruined that company, and then uh, made them in the perfect position for Microsoft to come in and buy them. And then once Microsoft bought them, he went and got a great cushy job at Microsoft again. And then Balmer got kicked out because the Nokia deal was such a bad idea, and now Sache is running things. Sache is on the record saying he never, ever wanted the Nokia deal to go through. Well, today, Microsoft announced changes to its organizational structure and its leadership team. Stephen Elop is out at Microsoft, and they're restructuring their phone and Windows divisions into one more cohesive unit. Uh, I guess Terry Meyerson, or Meyerson, the formerly head of the company's operating systems work, will now pick up the new responsibilities of the new structure. Meyerson will also lead a new unit called Windows and Devices Group, which combines Microsoft Windows and its hardware. The Windows and Devices Group is simply named. The division will include Windows and the devices that have become associated with the company's hardware push, like Lumia, HoloLens, Surface Hub, Xbox, and Surface. Wow, that's huge for Xbox. I don't know if that's huge good either. Xbox just got sucked into the largest bureaucracy in Microsoft, the Windows division. And what made Xbox unique was that it was its own standout rebel project. Sort of a skunkworks project. In fact, it was one of the things that made it unique is that it had to struggle within a very rich corporation early on. I don't know about this. But there's a lot going on today. Hmm. I'm calm. What do you think? You think uh, it worries you for other Xbox products? Exactly. That's what I think, too. I think, I don't know, Sean PC, what do you think? I think it sounds like they're trying to go back to the old Monopoly days where everything was under one roof. Yeah, I, I think I think they look at that and go, well, we need to be we need to we need to be able to just have everything really cohesively work well together. You know, we need to. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I because I, it does kind of make sense if you're building an operating system, you probably want to have pretty close interaction with the people that are developing the hardware with the accessory buttons and the camera interfaces and all that stuff. It would make sense. You'd want those teams together. But wow, it feels like you are making a new a new beast inside Microsoft. We'll see what I mean, you know what? Have that at Microsoft. I guess uh, boy, they're gonna be riding high. That group is gonna be powerful after the launch of Windows ten too. It's gonna be a, that's gonna be an interesting set of politics.
You guys might have heard of the Let's Encrypt initiative. We co- we've covered it uh, once before. Uh, it is, uh, it's an initiative that's backed by, and Mumble, you might have to remind me here, uh, I know the Mozilla group is behind it. Um, there's like several different organizations that are behind Let's Encrypt, which is an, which is an, which is an effort to give a really straightforward process to make encryption accessible to everybody, HTTPS encryption and things like that. And so they've announced that they will soon have general avail- uh, availability. They'll be issuing their first certificate on the week of July 27th, ooh, and then general availability on September 14th, 2015. I guess they're going to make this so easy that it's you can. There'll even be scripts and packages for like your distro of choice. You'll install that script or run that run that script or install that package, and it will walk you through the process of getting an SSL certification cert stuff. All all the all the information you need. It'll it'll install it on your web server and configure it for you, and you're done. And you have a legit free SSL cert. That's my understanding of it. I don't know if that's actually what's going what we're gonna get, but that's what I understood when I read about it. And they're uh, they're on Twitter at uh, at Let's Encrypt. I'm gonna follow them right now. That way. Sounds we... right to me. Yeah, that's what it sounded like the initiative was. I'm I'm really tempted to try it out. And some people think that might not necessarily be a good thing. Some people think that if you make that process too easy, then people don't fully understand what they're doing, and that might necessarily be a good thing when it comes to security. So we'll see. We'll see. Speaking of uh, secure, oh, any thoughts on that before we go? Or any corrections to? Have, have, have they announced on how they're going to make sure scammers don't use the service to no. pretend they're someone else? I don't know how they're going to do that. Or the, or the optimum padlock problem. With the Type 1 certificate, you're just proving that you own the site. Yeah. Yeah, but how... I, they got, you got to tie it to an identity, right? So you're going to probably have to have an account where you've done some... There's no... Waffle Maker says there's no verification. Well, this is going to be an interesting experiment. There'll still be a Type 2 and a Type 3 certificate, yes. which you'll have to pay for to get uh, more verification. Uh, and uh, Alex Bell in the chat room points out that they are also Let's Encrypt on GitHub if you would like to contribute. So browse browser to site encryption. It's, not, it's just encryption. There's no verification. Okay. I, I am really looking forward to them launching and playing with it and getting some more hands-on with it. I thought this was kind of weird. And not too surprising, but super disappointing. Uh, word is from Torrent Freak that Amazon has banned Cody, or, or XBMC, you might better know it as, uh, from their app store over piracy concerns. Now, that's such crap. That's such crap. And you could see how, how Plex could also fall to the same claims. Uh, Amazon has removed the popular media center Cody from the app store, claiming it facilitates piracy. Now, XBMC, or Cody itself doesn't link to any infringing content. I guess there's some third-party add-ons that do, that you could download and install. But this is extremely disappointing because the Fire TV is a good box, but its app selection is super weak, and its local playback is non-existent, unless you have, like, DLNA set up or Plex. And it's not a very good Plex client, unfortunately. It's okay, it's, it's good, but it, I was hoping it'd be better. And so I, w- I was really, really looking forward to getting Cody. Or, you know, you get a Fire tablet, put Cody on there. So, anyways, uh, yeah. I, f- I think this may be linked to a raid done by the UK police on someone who was selling a Cody, a box with Cody on it, and they raided their um, business for privacy things because I think they were sipping plugins that allowed you to watch things they shouldn't be watching. Uh, Torrent Freak does an update. They say several people have pointed out that there's many other Kodi or XBMC-related apps still in the Amazon App Store. 
And these particular ones are even preloaded with piracy add-ons, including the popular TVMC. Still available on Amazon, so it's Amazon. It seems that Amazon uh, doesn't take down apps proactively. They only investigate apps after right holders complain. Pretty weird. Thanks, Amazon. It's just, I don't like this. I don't like that. Uh, uh, all right. Okay. Well, there you go. That's, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm going to try, I'm going to dig around. I didn't, I didn't even know there was other apps on there that were uh, preloaded with, uh, well, shoot, now that I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine apps still on the Amazon App Store that are Kodi or XBMC based. Wow. So that's, they just took down the official project and left all of the knockoffs on there. That's even worse. If you're going to take something down, take off the knockoffs. Kodi uh, is now on uh, Google Play, Indiegogo. Tell me more. Have you installed basically, it? Basically, recently, um, Google just allowed... Cody to go through on the Google Play Store. Hmm. That's about it. Okay. Good. That's good. Makes me makes me want to have that on my TV. Uh, hey, let's let's talk about how you can support the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. We have a lot of stuff in the works these days. I'm really getting excited about the summer because it's always a time when we can double down and get stuff done. And you are helping make that possible by supporting us at patreon.com slash today. 542 of you are supporting the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. This gives us the runway and the budget predictability to make big plans and maybe even eventually bring additional crew on and expand our on-location coverage. Oh, oh! I dream of a day doing the Tech Talk Today show from um, some location, like a waterfront somewhere, maybe a beach, or, I don't know, like in a boat? That'd be really fun. Wouldn't that be fun to do? I don't know. I got all kinds of, there's all kinds of, I mean, this is the Pacific Northwest, so I'm not talking like I don't have to go far. <laughs> but I just love the idea of going out on location and doing shows. But really, what would probably happen is I think it would be fun to, to take LASS or Linux Unplugged on the road. And while, while that show's on the road, because, you know, I'd be traveling, I would do this show from the road as well. That is really where I think, I think that's probably where we're going to go eventually. And uh, though, that'd be fun, but how, we, how would we ever do that? And uh, how would we ever be able to do, and, and do meetups and things like that? How could you do that? You'd have to have people back here at the studio that are managing things, taking care of a lot of the things that I do now. That's one, one of the things we're talking about with the funding from our Patreon page. But right now what we're doing, because it's, we're not there yet. So right now we're focused on things that need fixed. Like we have a streaming solution where we uh, – last week we lost two episodes. Completely different reasons. Um, but they both come down to we need a backup recording. And we know exactly how we want to do that. And we want to do it in such a way that's not only going to give us a backup recording, but we might be able to make those clips eventually available to our patrons. And we could stream to multiple live stream services uh, at the same time with different bit rates. Like we want to, and, and we want to do it with Linux, right? So we've decided there's, here's a real goal we have to greatly improve the reliability. God, it is so devastating when you lose an episode of a show. You know, you show up, you do all the research for the show, you go through the whole thing, the Mumble Room makes their contribution, especially when I feel like they're particularly good episodes, and then you lose it. And it's like, I don't even know if I can show up and do another one. And then to lose a second episode in the same week, I was just about ready to just say, I'm not coming back until we have a backup in place. But we're just, you know, Jupiter Broadcasting has to go at the pace that we can afford to go at. So we kind of go right up to the line, and we ride that line for a while. And while right now we're at 542, that means we can't do anything big. We can't bring in folks to hire them full-time or even part-time. But we can fix things like that backup recording. Like, now we can't afford to go out there, finish up this NUC, get OBS configured, and it actually even takes hiring somebody to write some code to, to modify OBS to do what we need it to do. Right? But we're doing that, too, now because of the support on our Patreon page. So that today is how we're using that funding. 
And, and, and as that grows, we have so many other great ideas to go with it, as I just shared some of them with you. Patreon.com slash today. Thanks to all 542 of you for supporting that network. You guys are so great. I love you. I love you too, Mumble Room. Thank you for being here. You know, these Mumble Rooms, they got here at 9 a.m. Well, even before 9 a.m. Really, if you, want to be on the, if you want to be on the show, the pre-show starts around 8.45 Pacific time. You know, so just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar and get all that stuff in your local time. The website will just convert it for you. techtalktoday.reddit.com is where you go to make uh, this show even better. Submit a clip, maybe a Kickstarter of the week, or an end-of-show video would always be good. Anything like that. I should be back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, jblive.tv, techtalktoday.reddit.com. Techtalktoday.reddit.com. Come on, people. Give me something good. Otherwise, it's all E3 tomorrow. No, I'm kidding. I'm not really saying that. All right, we're going to end with another creepy commercial. I, I love this one. You might remember the uh, the Furbies. And uh, well, who was it that was telling me that the Furbies were a band in government? Oh, yeah. Now, okay, the tell me. Furry little spy. Yeah, because There's they, a, actually, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. They would uh, sometimes remember what you were saying. So the NSA actually banned them in, I think, uh, 1999. <laughs> So here is the NSA's banned, the, the, the biggest threat to government security, and you can have it in your home. We'll leave you with this. What's that? Me up. It's my Furby. Furby loves oh. lavender. Tickle me. Furby, the first gigapet oh. you pet. Go ahead. Pet me. Teach to say her name. Me? Noodle. Play games. Pink bad. Oh. And love you back. Uh-oh. <laughs> your Furby sneezed Achoo. and gave mine a cold. Furby loves your love and